Yeah, I do believe it's a significant word this morning. Uh, the last two weeks was quite incredible. Two weeks ago, we had a worship time, and in the worship time, we were planning to preach. We felt led not to go that way. We had some people share, and what came out was a sense that God called us to repentance. And we had people publicly over the microphone repenting of areas of sin in their life, areas of wrongdoing, and, and people found great freedom. And then last week, God really spoke about acknowledging Him. Um, there was this this big theme about God's holiness, and we need to see Him. And the real sense that God was calling us to acknowledge Him as holy, um, that we need to acknowledge Him in all our ways and repent and change, so that um, times of refreshing would come to us. And, and so I felt it would be good for us just to establish this matter of repentance biblically, so that we understand what it is about and, and why, why is it a foundational doctrine in Hebrews 5 and 6, it speaks about foundational things to our faith. And I mean, if a house built on a wrong foundation, you know that songs build your house on the rock. If you build your house in the sand and the rain comes, the wrong foundation will cause the house not to stand. So it's important that we revisit these foundations and make sure our foundation is solid and correct. If I would say the following statement, God wants relationship with you. Is that an accurate statement? Partially it is. God wants relationship with us. But don't you think a more correct statement would be, we need relationship with Him? See, the difference is, if the emphasis on God wants relationship with us, it's almost a sense of, hey, I can, let me do God a favor. It's like, okay, you, what, what? Okay, I can give you that. Where if we realize we need a relationship with Him, it's a whole different story. So it's true, God wants a relationship with us. But the real truth is we need a relationship with Him. Just put your faith in Jesus. Is that an accurate gospel presentation? Just put your faith in Jesus and He'll change everything. The problem with that statement is it misses the reason why you need to put your faith in Jesus. You see, a lot of the church these days, and sometimes even us, we present a gospel without really addressing the why, the problem. We many times present the solution. Put your faith in Jesus. God wants a relationship with you. But the problem is if we only pitch the solution and not the reason why, people don't understand the magnitude of the solution. It's just a response. But it's significant if you understand the problem. And the reason why I think there's so little talk about the real problem is because churches don't want to offend people. How many sermons do you get on YouTube about sin? Just sin. Enemies of God. That one won't trend. <laughs> I tell you now. And churches are afraid to address the real problem because they want people to feel good about themselves. A big church, um, the pastor that leads a church there, they asked him, make a church in America. What would be your definition of the gospel? He said the following. It's a simple message that God loves us so much. He sent his son to pave a way to have a relationship with you. Simple message that God loves us so much that he sent his son to pave a way to have a relationship with you. True. 
But once again, he misses the real important part. Why did he send his son? Why did he send his son to have a relationship with us? Why did he send his son to pave the way? And I think we need to get back to a good understanding of the why. Because if we understand the why, the what suddenly becomes a different story. You see, last week I mentioned that this is not what God wants to do when we come to Him. He doesn't just want to quickly give us a new, you know, it's like a more improved version, but it's actually just the same. When we respond to God, it's like going from that to that. It's a proper transformation. It's not a quick like, oh, here's a fix. Let's just give you one extra megapixel, and now suddenly you reflect Him a little bit better. No, it's a proper transformation. But if we don't understand the problem, we won't really embrace what is done. And then our transformation looks weak and bleak. I want to speak about repentance this morning. Repentance. Repentance. I want to look at the missing link in the gospel, as I've already started sharing. And I want to look at how it's still applicable to someone that's been serving Jesus and is serving Jesus. How it's applicable to a believer. And my hope is that if I address the issue with the, our understanding of the gospel, it will cause some of us actually to realize that, hey, I've been a, thinking I'm okay because I grew up in a Christian home and I've responded to God, but actually I've never dealt with the real problem. And today I want to deal with it. So that's my hope, is that some of us would be confronted with a real problem and we shift, or some of us shift in our thinking and realize that moment that I did repent this is actually what happened. And then for some of us, I hope that we come to a place where we embrace this as part of our daily lives. Because it's almost like someone says holiness and repentance. Some of us go like, mm, that again. It's like, mm, I thought we serve a happy God. Uh, repentance, holiness, uh, change. It's like so heavy. But I trust that we'll see the truth of this through Scripture, that the heaviness would go, and that we'll have a sense of delight. And I'll unpack it as we go. So Paul, Peter, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and there's a moment that the church gets birthed, and people have tongues of fire on their head, and it's looking wild, it's looking weird. This, you've got to understand, there hasn't been charismatic churches before that people could see on YouTube. This was radical. It's like these Jews that were going through their ritual, serving God faithfully, properly, suddenly here's a group of Jews and it's tongues of fire on their heads, and they're speaking in different languages. It's wild. And people are attracted to that moment. There's close to 3,000 onlookers. And Peter starts the very first sermon we see in the book of Acts. And he preaches the gospel. He says that you've crucified him. Your actions has caused him to die on a cross. And he presents this message. And it says here in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It's like, okay, I'm feeling something is, it's like almost, you know that feeling when the first time you heard the gospel and it was this feeling that, you know, I need to do something because what the people are saying is real. Or you feel that knocking in your heart. Scripture speaks about God comes to knock in your heart and you feel it. It's like, I've got to do something. Some of you, if I've heard, just stood up and ran forward. Some of you put up your hand. Some of you nailed down, but there's a moment that you feel, I need to do something. This God he's speaking about sounds, it, it's real, but I'm feeling it inside. They had that moment. What shall we do? 
And Peter didn't say, just put your faith in Jesus. He didn't just say, God loves you. God wants to embrace you. God believes that you are worthy to come. And we do have worth before God. But that's not the premise for us to come to Him. Yes, His response. Repent and be baptized. Repentance. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. So he starts off and his message is repent. In Acts 3 verse 19, once again, we see their message, the early church, the gospel message as they presented it. They called the people to repent. And so there's an action from our side which is to repent. Sometimes we don't want to offend the listener. <laughs> that I felt it too. <laughs> He's still with me, alive, awake. <laughs> Are we good? Are we good? Okay. Um, in Acts 3, it also, their message was presented and there was a call to repentance. Why was that key to their presentation? Why was it key to their message to repent? I want to tell you why. Because they understood that there's a real problem and the solution is to repent and turn to Jesus, open up our life, and then He comes to save us. He does it. He does the saving. It's free gift from Him. But there's got to be a time where I acknowledge I am dead in my sin. I'm a mess. And that's why he came. Because without him, I'll stay a mess. Without him, I'll die for eternity. Because this sin is it's killing me. I've been corrupted by the sin. And now I need a Savior. And because of that sin, God is holy. And therefore, I can't get to the living God. I've been corrupted by sin. And now I am an enemy of God. And that's why I need to say, God, forgive me for this. I repent. I turn from this. I need you. And then I can receive the gift of salvation. But it starts with a moment where we recognize and we repent and we turn from our ways. Uh, Colossians 1. It clearly states, here's the problem. Here's our situation. We've got to understand that in our default state, we are, we have been, those of you that responded to the gospel before, you have been an enemy of God, not strangers. It's not us in a boat lost at sea. It's us in the ocean drowning in need of a savior. That's the real picture. Many times churches present like, I'm lost at sea, but I'll find my way. Where? Oh, there you are. Let me find my way back. No, we're drowning. And to prove this, Colossians 2, this 1 to 5, once you were dead because of your disobedience, and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Who? All of us. I responded to the gospel at the age of 10, in a classroom at my school. Up to that point, I wasn't aware of any major sins. I definitely didn't smoke, use alcohol, lived a 
a wild lifestyle. So I responded to the gospel. And since then, I've been serving God. So I read the scriptures and I sometimes think, you know, I thought, oh, if you've been a druggie and you've been an alcoholic and you've murdered people, stole cars, it's like, yeah, this is me. But Kevin that responded at the age of seven that barely did anything naughty up to that point, this was me as well. This was me as well. All of us. I was the enemy of God because of the corruption of sin. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But it's God who is rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now suddenly if I realize that I'm an enemy of God, that I'm drowning, that I'm dead in my sin, suddenly God's mercy becomes a whole different story. Because I wasn't just an iPhone 14 becoming an iPhone 15. I wasn't just lost at sea. I was drowning. But now I am alive. Now I've got a purpose and a destiny and a hope and a new life. And suddenly the mercy of God becomes a whole different story than just a quick fix. It's his mercy. It's massive. It's massive. It's massive. We used to teach people the gospel with the South African flag. Quite relevant, seeing that we won the World Cup and we might win a cricket World Cup if India loses against New Zealand. Um, (laughs) um, And so using the flag, there was always a gospel message. It started with the black part, that we are dead because of our sin. That's where it starts. So many churches skip that part. God is holy, the gold strip. And because of His holiness, we don't have relationship with Him. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent His Son to pave away the red, His blood, so that we might have life. And He makes us clean the white, so that we can grow the green and spend eternity with Him, the blue, and be filled with His Spirit blue as well. Where are you going at? It's cool that God gives us a flag that presents the gospel, you know? That's, I, thought, I thought that's incredible. The early church understood that their framing of the gospel wasn't our validation. Their framing wasn't just put your faith in Jesus. Their framing was we were enemies of God. Repent. Be baptized. And God who is rich in mercy will come and transform you. We've got to understand that. Otherwise, we, we don't fully grasp what God has done. There's, a, there's a, a parable that Jesus tells about the king that prepared a banquet, a wedding feast for his sons. This is a king preparing a wedding. If you've seen people organize weddings, it's intense. This is a king, a man, organizing a wedding. Okay? So this is, this is even more intense. All right? So the king organizes a wedding for his son. He invites everyone in the town to come. They ignore the invite. RSVP, decline. He sends the messengers to go again and invite them. The messengers go, invite the people. Look, everything's prepared. The, the fattened calf has been slaughtered. There's steak. There's a bull. It's, this is going to be proper. The feast is ready. They kill the messengers. Some go back to work and they report to the king. Look, these people are interested. He sends people to go kill those people, burn down the place. And he tells his messengers, go and invite anyone. 
Anyone that you see, just invite them. They can come. Everything is ready. Everything has been prepared. They can just come. And then we read, they, people came, and they enjoyed the wedding feast. They enjoyed the banquet. And at one stage, the king started making inspection. He just walked through the crowd. You know that time where people walk and they take the photos of the table? A moment like that, and he's walking. And it says, but when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked. Remember, the invite has been free. They could come. But there was still a way they needed to come. How is, that, how is it that you are here without your wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to the aides, bind, this, um, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This picture that we can come to the wedding feast and think we're okay, but actually we came in on the wrong premise. We didn't come in his way. We came in our way, thinking, oh, I just want to have a good life. Coming in, it's like, hey, God will improve me. But the real clothes that we need to put on is repentance. And that's how we come in. And that's the wedding clothes we come in, repentance. Everything has been prepared for. The king has sorted out everything. It's free. All we need to do is respond to the invitation, respond to the call. And as we respond to the call in repentance, he chooses us and he says, you are part. We are part of this household. Is it still good? Understanding, let's quickly unpack why it's important that we understand why repentance is needed on the day of salvation and beyond. Why is repentance needed? Probably the big, best picture, I got this from a, a book that Sean Broteseth read, a guy in the um, Fort Worth Partnership. And he said there was a time about 30 odd years ago, I can't believe it's 30 years ago, but it's about 30 years ago, the Rainbow Nation was born. We had apartheid, and then the NC government took over. And now we had to merge these, um, the different races into the different cultures into one. And it was difficult because there were some serious atrocities done by the, the um, white uh, Afrikaner um, culture. And that was causing a difficulty to find unity and reconciliation. And that needed to be chatted through and be dealt with. So Nelson Mandela signed into law, what they call the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Some of you would remember that. And basically the premise was that the victims or those that were family members that were still alive could come and tell their story publicly. And so this was our so that they could be heard because for so many years their voice was crushed. This is my experience. Should I take the other mic? Eh? It's all right. There we go. Okay, maybe that's better. Let's see. And so they could share their, their experiences. So they started sharing their experiences. And part of the reconciliation, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, was to give those, the, the perpetrators, opportunity to plead for forgiveness and to say, we're really sorry about what we've done, to acknowledge their wrongdoing and say, we acknowledge it, we did it, forgive us. And so the the, the course of the law still needed to take place, but in some cases and in many cases, people were actually not given jail sentences, but they were given a pardon. And they, they, they were given a pardon for their, for their acts. Pia Buta was the late president 
um, before, the second last president. And he was also asked if he would come and own up, because he was at the head of a lot of these atrocities, to give the opportunity for him to acknowledge his wrongdoing and plead for forgiveness, plead for amnesty and a pardon. He didn't want to do that because he felt there was no wrongdoing on his end. Shocking, but there was no wrongdoing on his end. The late Nelson Mandela even offered to walk with him and go with him to it to give him the opportunity to receive mercy and a pardon for his acts. But it had to start with Pierre Buddha going and acknowledging his wrongdoing. He declined and eventually died without acknowledging his wrongdoing and dying in a state of sin. I think this is a beautiful picture of what needs to happen for us to receive mercy. We need to come to a point where we actually acknowledge our wrongdoing in order to receive the pardon and the mercy. Without acknowledgement of the wrongdoing, there can't be any mercy and pardon. Just like with Pierre Buta, there was no mercy, no pardon, no amnesty. And in the same way, that's for us when it comes to the gospel. We need to acknowledge our wrongdoing. If we responded to the gospel and God comes and he convicts an area in our life, what do we need to do? We need to acknowledge our wrongdoing because there will be no mercy, no forgiveness, no freedom if I don't acknowledge my wrongdoing. I've seen it so many times sitting with people in my lounge, over in a coffee shop, in here somewhere, speaking to people of areas in their lives that they need to shift. Some people are here, they've responded to the gospel, but they're almost exactly the same place they were the day that they responded. Why? Because there's no acknowledgement of the wrongdoing. And therefore, there can't be any transformation and change. Because there's still pride and arrogance that's keeping them down in that wrongdoing, in that sin. So mercy only comes as we acknowledge, as we healed to Him. If you look at the, the Greek word there for that word repent, so when he says repent, it's metanoia. Metanoia means to change your mind, to change your actions. The Hebrew word actually says it's to turn around. And so there's a moment where I change my mind, change my actions, and I turn around. So repentance ultimately for me is when I'm walking this way and I realize, okay, I'm walking in a place of sin, wrongdoing, error. I'm missing the mark because that's what sin is. If you look at the Greek word, it's, what's the Greek word? Off the cuff, eh? No, metanoia is uh, repentance. A sin, anyone can, eh? I'm a tear. Are you sure? Eh? I'm off the cuff. But the, the Greek word for sin means to miss the mark. And so it's, I'm missing the mark, I'm going here. So I can't keep on shooting in the same way and expect to hit the mark. I've got to change my angle. I've got to change my direction and then start hitting the mark. And repentance is that. We realize I've been missing the mark. Okay, now where do I need to go? I need to aim for Jesus. And so now I turn away from this sin, and now I go in this, because I've acknowledged my wrongdoing, and now there's mercy and grace and pardon and freedom, and now I'm following him. And in doing this, as I behold him, I'm transformed into his likeness. So it's really wrongdoing and a change of mind and a change of action. Sean Brodersef, I mentioned about the book that I'm reading. He says, nobody can be born again if they do not repent, because you cannot make use of a solution if you do not believe you have a problem. The early church understood this, but we have moved away from it because today self-validation is valued above self-examination. This is not to say we should live with a shattered self-esteem, 
but rather to acknowledge that if we are to enter the kingdom of God, we must honestly stare down the barrel of our own fallen status. Repentance opens the door to your heart for the Spirit to come in and bring refreshing and transformation. So the question is, is repentance still applicable for a Christian today? Absolutely, absolutely. Let's look at scriptures. Revelations 2 verse 5. Jesus is speaking to the church there. He says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent. And so he's speaking to Christians here to repent. Revelations 3 verse 3. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and and repent still to the church in 2 Corinthians 7 8 to 9 even if I caused you sorrow by my letter I do not regret it though it, I did regret it I see that my letter hurt you but only for a little while yet now I'm happy not because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led to repentance so Paul wanted them to feel something. And, and let me just say this. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for yourself or sorry for the situation. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I need to turn away and to, to something. Otherwise, you're just feeling sorry for yourself or sorry because of the situation. But there's got to be a turning. There's got to be action to it. There's got to be action. In Acts, it says, repent so that times of refreshing will come to you. Um, Another scripture, Acts 26. I preach that they should repent and turn to God. He preached so that there would be repentance. Is it still applicable to Christians today? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's in those times where we give sin a proper shot, where we deal with the sin in our lives. Repentance is that moment where I realize I'm going in the wrong direction. Yes, sin. I can just think I need to change this and nothing will happen. I've got to actually take a moment and repent so that I can deal with that sin. In James it says that our evil desires give birth to sin and sin gives birth to sin and then eventually to death. So there's a moment where I start compromising. And if I don't deal with it, I will continue in it. For sin will give birth to sin. How many of you haven't seen or maybe experienced in your own life one little compromise undealt with leads to another one? Leads to another one. Leads to another one. It's that moment where you actually acknowledge your wrongdoing and you repent. You turn to Jesus. That you find mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. Why is repentance needed for the Christian? Because it gives you opportunity to turn to God. It produces greater intimacy with Him. It produces a greater relationship with Him. And it produces a times of refreshing in our lives. One of the best examples I saw last week was um, the vet. Is he here? Um, the vet was here last week, and he shared how he had a stewardship teaching from Amran. And she said about how we, it's important that we do family Bible study and just disciple our children well. And he felt the conviction of God. You see, it starts with a conviction and a recognizing of the wrongdoing. Then there's the, okay, I've got a, I've got to change my way. And as I change my way, the refreshing comes and the transformation comes. And so he felt the conviction of God. So he could have sat in that chair and thought, oh, 
I must do this. And nothing would have happened. What he did is that afternoon, he got his daughters together. And he said, let's share, let's chat about the scripture. What is that? That is repentance. Where there was a change of mind, there was conviction, there was a change of mind, and there was a change of action, and a change towards God. If you were here last week, you shared out that Bible study. And in doing so, his daughter started sharing with him that she wants to pray in a heavenly language, in tongues. And she started praying in tongues. And he's like, where did this come from? And he shared out in the Sunday, someone had a prophetic, uh, a, a public tongue, which was in the form of a rap, which is a form of singing genre. And, um, and so there was a, 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 a tongue. A, it speaks about the gifts of the Spirit being a public tongue. And, and someone was sharing a public tongue, and there was inter- interpretation. And while that was happening, she said, God, if you can have it... Why can't I? And the Holy Spirit fell upon her, baptized her, and she received the gift of tongues. And so, and he only found that out while having the Bible study. See what happened? He would have missed that. He would have missed that time of refreshing. He would have missed the fruit of that moment if he just thought, I need a change. But because there was a change of action, there was times of refreshing. It brought him closer to God. And then he shared this. John, quickly come in. So last week he shares this, and this is what happens. <laughs> I spoke in tongues too. <laughs> yeah, double convicted because he was sharing about how he meets with his daughter, and, he, and they go through the word together. And I was like, I did that years ago, but because she's doing well, like I've missed out on that opportunity. So that was refreshing for me to hear. Sorry, Anna, I haven't got there yet, but it's coming. Really. And uh, anyway, so. He shared about how it was that rap in tongues that was the thing that, that she reached out to. It, it was something she could relate to. She was like, well, if he can like rap in tongues, surely God could give me that gift as well. And so that used to bother me when, when Sherman used to do that. And I repented to Sherman this week. <laughs> and Gerard as well. Because it's like, is God really in the, the tongue? You know? I was like... Is that really that holy? Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> It was so holy and anointed. No. Um, no, be, we limit God with our natural minds. You know, like, oh, I've got this figured out. God can only move in this box of my understanding, you know? And that was the very thing that offended me, was the very thing that God could use to touch our youth, which is our heart's desire that God would touch our children. And so it was just beautiful to see how, how God just, you know, <laughs> I had to repent for judging the move of the Spirit and, and being judgmental against Sherman. Sorry, Sherman. Do you want to rap some more? Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. And so that was a moment where John could see something of his wrongdoing, an area where he was missing the mark. It was a judgmental attitude. And he could repent, and he felt great freedom and refreshment in doing so. And so this testimony might cause some of you to be convicted today to change from your wrongdoing. And so it's bringing times of refreshing, not just to the individual, but to the congregation as we share and we turn from our wrongdoing. Why? Because we want to be closer to Him. In Christ Jesus, we have been made holy, but now we're also walking that out. And we're walking it out by changing from our wrongdoing and changing 
towards Him and finding Him and becoming more and more more like Him. That's the ultimate aim. It's Jesus. I want to end with one Bible story and one illustration. Imagine you're driving in a car, um, and I think for the illustration, it's like your, your wife is driving and you've got the maps on. Um, and so you tell your wife at the intersection there, turn right. And your wife's driving to the intersection. <laughs> and um, as she turns left at the intersection. Now we're driving, and it's the wrong road. So I go, my love, my darling. We should have turned the other right. But because you changed the wrong right, right, we are going in the wrong direction. We won't get to our destination. If my wife, while we're driving, continues driving and says, oh man, you're right, I'm going the wrong way. And we carry on. We're not going to get to where we need to be. If she says, like, oh, you're right, we're going in the wrong direction. And we just stay there. We're not going where we need to be. It's only when she turns around the car and we go in the opposite direction that we'll get to where we need to be. Many of us feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and He still convicts us today. And we've got to understand that there's no longer any condemnation. We don't live in a state of guilt anymore as Christians. But when the Spirit of God convicts, conviction by nature is having a sense of guilt. But we don't stay in that state of guilt. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to keep us there. So he blinds us to our wrongdoing, and we actually live in a state of guilt. But now there's no longer any condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts us, shows us we're going the wrong way. And therefore we turn and we receive grace and mercy and pardon. And there's no more condemnation. There's no more sense of guilt. Because I've responded to the conviction of the Spirit. Conviction by sins is saying, you are guilty. But there's also mercy and pardon and forgiveness. So many of us sometimes get to that point that we know I'm missing it. We're like, oh, I could be wrong. Maybe, if, are you sure I'm wrong? Are you sure we went the wrong way? Like, oh, you stop. And it's like, oh, I'm really sorry. But we don't change. We don't turn. And we don't live in the fullness of what God has for us. I want to ask you, maybe you're sitting here, you've never given your life to Jesus. Are you still going in the wrong direction? Isn't today your day where you've got to stop the car and turn around? Maybe you hear and the Holy Spirit convicted you of the area. Maybe it's because you haven't opened up your home. Maybe your marriage is in a good place. And you know it's because you've got a farki in your And there's something that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's unforgiveness in your life. God wants you to stop the car and turn it around. Isaiah 6. And I want to tell you this. A lifestyle of repentance doesn't mean that we need to be sin conscious. So we don't have to constantly look, is there any sin? Is there any wrongdoing? Am I missing the mark? What it comes down to is to have a pursuit of God and His holiness. And as you see Him, we see the error and the shortcomings in our lives. And it's then when we are convicted that we repent and change. Peter, when he caught the fish, and God said he didn't catch any fish. And Jesus told him to catch on the other side. And he threw the net on the other side. And he caught fish. 
When he went on the beach, he fell before him. Why? Because he saw something of the nature of God. And he fell. He realized these shortcomings. John on the Isle of Patmos saw the risen Jesus, the glorified Jesus. He saw him in the new covenant. He saw him. What did John go? Like, oh, he loved me. Oh. No, it says that John saw him. And he fell to his feet as a man dead. Because he saw his holiness. He realized his shortcomings. And he fell flat out. And it's in those moments that we receive grace and mercy. Best illustration is Isaiah 6. The prophet Isaiah, he has this vision where he sees the Lord high and lifted up, exalted. What does Isaiah do? He's like, oh, so wonderful. No, Isaiah says, woe is me. I can't come. You are holy. And he comes, he comes aware of his shortcomings. I'm a man undone. I can't even come close. In that moment of seeing God and realizing his shortcomings, his wrongdoing, his error, God comes with a coal, touches his lips, and he cleanses him. The mercy of God is that he doesn't leave us there. But when we see him, we realize our shortcomings. We acknowledge it, and he comes, and he cleanses us. And he cleanses Isaiah, and he says, will you go for me? I want to give you a purpose and a destiny. Will you go for me? And Isaiah goes. And so many preachers speak about destiny and purpose. But they forget that it's seeing him. And we see our shortcomings. And he cleanses us. And he gives us a purpose and a destiny. But it starts with acknowledgement and our need for repentance. And in this moment, by his mercy, he cleanses us. By his mercy and his grace, he sets us on a mission and a purpose and a destiny. By his mercy and grace, we have relationship with him because we need it. And he did everything. It starts with us seeing him, becoming a war of us shortcomings.